Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan, down by the boardwalk, boardwalk. I told you it was dorky. (laughs) (laughs) I never know if I'm supposed to say something. (laughs) It's just weird when there's crickets. I'm like... (laughs) I'm not... I don't know. I was... Today we'll be discussing A Night to Surrender by Tessa Dare. Susanna's idyllic seaside home is under invasion of a most brutish sort. These bombers of sheep, these red fever spreading cads, these tea shop renaming bulls, led by none other than the chief bull, Bromwell, the recently elevated Earl of Rycliffe. Susanna and Brom fight for the betterment of the locals. Her, by maintaining tranquility as well as a restorative atmosphere, and him, by preparing for a battle that may or may not happen. Let's face it, probably not. Who's to say? (laughs) Will they be able to find common ground, or will they make their demarcation lines in the sand? There will be spoilers (laughs) beyond this point. We have a content warning, dubious consent, and there's a scene where the female main character strikes the male main character. Although he literally asks her to do it. So. The notes, they do not exist. (laughs) Yay, flying by the seat of our pants. So breezy. I'm pantsing it. (laughs) I'm here for it. So what kind of village is Spindle Cove, a.k.a. Spinster Cove? Should we start there? Kind of familiarize everybody with the location? Sounds good. Spindle Cove is located in Sussex, England. The year is 1813, so that puts us right kind of toward the end of Regency era and during the Napoleonic War. That's kind of important because our male main character, Brom, has been fighting in said war. (laughs) Spindle Cove is a seaside destination of choice for a certain type of young lady, the sort no one knows what to do with. (laughs) I feel you and I would have ended there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I vibe with Spindle Cove, that's for sure. (laughs) So you got your ladies that want to pursue things that are not necessarily deemed appropriate for them. You have your ladies that are maybe sickly. And you have your ladies that are not conventionally attractive. And academic ladies. Yes, those are the ladies interested in things that are not appropriate for them, Em. Yes. Academia is not deemed suitable for young, well-bred ladies, mind you. Yeah, their poor little brains just can't handle all the the book learning. Indeed, they cannot. (laughs) (laughs) This atmosphere of Spindle Cove has been cultivated by one Susanna Finch, age 25. She is our female main character. She is the daughter of the only lord in the area, Sir Lewis Finch, who is very famous for inventing artilleries. Susanna is, in fact, one of those young ladies that perhaps is not suitable for polite London society. Yeah, because she has the audacity to continue to mourn her mother. So the medical establishment keeps bleeding her going, this will fix her. What, why your why isn't your mood improving, poke, poke, poke? I mean, slash, slash, slash. Sorry, too much. Well, leeches. 
her backstory sucks. Yeah. Essentially, like Em said, her mom dies, her dad doesn't know what to do with her, sends her off to be with her cousins. For the female influence. And her cousins are trying to get her ready to entree into polite society, as one does during Regency era England. And she just isn't doing well because she's depressed because her mom died and her dad abandoned her. Yep. Yeah. So she gets seen by a lot of surgeons, quote unquote, lots of bleeding, lots of other really nasty medical experimentation takes place to the point where she almost dies. Good times. And her dad comes by, takes one look at her and goes, Nope, this doesn't work for me. And he takes her off and they move to Spindle Cove. Yay. She, at the beginning of her story, deems her father her hero. He saved her from the horrible surgeons that he first allowed her to be subjected to. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see how that works out for her. (laughs) But as a result of her situation, she feels very strongly about... The need for young ladies to have a place where they can be truly themselves and be free mm-hmm. of the strictures of polite society, of expectations, and they can just grow into who they want to be, who they're meant to be. Susanna feels, I think in a way, like she's rescuing these women. And the way in which she does this is she... Finds people to stay at the local, is it like a hotel or something? Yeah. And it's essentially turned into a retreat for young ladies who don't feel well and they need to summer at the seaside to get better. You know, that type of thing. But it's not that they necessarily don't feel well, it's that they just don't fit in. And how dare they not fit in? (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, she takes this one step further because she pursues healing knowledge yes learning about herbs and and all that kind of thing so she can provide hands-on care to anyone who has an ailment since she understands firsthand how that can backfire in the wrong hands there is a surgeon a couple of times that's brought up that's nearby and she's like oh no we can't turn to him yeah she considers herself a healer and she's she's good at it Mm mm-hmm And she also considers herself a protector of young ladies. And she also basically runs the town as the lady of the village, essentially. Yeah, she runs the ladies, too. Like, she's like, Mondays we do this and Tuesdays we do this. It's like, okay, where's where's the freedom? (laughs) But yes, of course, they, of course, enjoy more freedoms there than they would anywhere else. But yeah, I was kind of wondering. I don't think she makes them partake. I think they just want to. That's fair. It is a social thing. I think it's just they bond with each other because they're all living in this inn, which has turned into a ladies retreat. I mean, it's kind of like a dorm atmosphere almost, I would imagine. Yeah. They get to interact with other young ladies who haven't fit in with society for whatever reason. And they bond over that. There's probably some element of trauma bonding. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Friendships forming. Patriarchy was unkind to you too. Yay. <laughs> Basically, yeah. 
this situation with the the retreat, the ladies retreat and the village and all that, this is Susanna's life. This is what she feels she was born to do. She feels called to do it. She's happy to be a spinster at the age of 25. She doesn't need a man and she doesn't understand why anyone would want one, basically. Mm -hmm. There are some men who reside in Spindle Cove, but most of them have I guess it's kind of like capitalism, right? Like supply and demand. <laughs> like they're like, yeah. oh, the young ladies want jewelry. Therefore, the blacksmith is going to be making more jewelry than he is going to be shoeing horses mm -hmm. and making weapons. They go to the tavern. Well, ladies don't want a tavern. They want a tea house. So the tavern turns into a tea house and the guy who runs it starts baking little cakes that one might eat at tea time. It's fine, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't see a problem with it. It's just they're pursuing customers. That's the way I interpreted it. But it's portrayed in the story as if they are not manly. Yes. They're being overrun by the women. The women have taken control of the town. And that is bad-ish, sort of, maybe. I don't know. I think it's the hero that says this. It's something to the effect of, like, you can't have a town without men kind of thing. And I was like, yes, especially then when you can't allow women to own property. Yeah. It makes it difficult. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So our story begins. I'm going to start with Susanna, even though our story technically begins with Brom. These things kind of happen simultaneously. So Susanna is at the retreat interviewing with a Mrs. Highwood and her three daughters. Mrs. Highwood is looking for a place for her eldest daughter, who is sickly, to stay and get well, have a place to breathe in the fresh air and embrace her health. And Susanna is on her best behavior because she's fooling the mom. <laughs> yes. She's not telling the mom, oh, yes, I'm going to take your daughter's out bathing in the sea and then we're gonna go shoot rifles on the hillside no she's not gonna tell her that <laughs> she's like oh yes we are the most proper place you've ever imagined mrs highwood is just eating this up and then they hear an explosion uh oh and the first thing Susanna thinks is oh no my dad he's <laughs> doing that thing with his cannon again He's going to get himself killed. I better go check on him because her dad, even though he's an amazing artillery inventor person, he's aging and this cannon he's been trying to design has not been going well. And so she rushes off to go investigate. Let's rewind a little bit. Simultaneously to that happening, we meet Brahm. Our male main character, hero of the story, age 29, injured soldier. I don't know what his rank was. He commanded a, he was a commander of some kind until he gets shot in the knee, completely rips his knee to shreds to the point that they were going to chop his leg off. Ouch. He refused to allow it. And one of his men, Thorn, helped him. Keep every doctor at bay until they could find one that was willing to help him try to save the leg. And now it's been like eight months or something like that. And he feels like, you know what? He's 
more than ready to go back on the field. <laughs> is he though? <laughs> eh, not really. <laughs> like it still hurts. It's not happy. He has a slight limp. He wears a brace, which he doesn't want anyone to know about. He doesn't want anyone to know it hurts either, but <laughs> what you going to do? <laughs> he is traveling with Thorne and his cousin Colin to go see Sir Lewis Finch because Lewis was his dad's friend and he's hoping Lewis is going to be able to get him back out into the field. This is his last chance. He's been really upset about not being able to go back to war. This has been his whole life. His dad was in the military. He bonded with his father over the fact that they were both military men. And when his dad died, I think he feels almost stuck in that career because he doesn't want to lose that feeling of closeness with his father. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It is very sad. <laughs> Brom is a pretty cool hero. I don't mind him. He's not really grumpy. I, he's a little bossy, but more like in a cocksure sort of way than in a alpha way, I'd say. He is competent. It's not just bossy for the sake of being bossy. Right. It's baked into his character. And he's good at his job. Yeah. And he's inspired loyalty in his men. He's got his one man following him around wherever he goes now because he's loyal, damn it. Mm -hmm. And then he has his loser cousin following him around, too. Poor Colin is, uh, he's the rake of the, I don't know, you want to call it the Spindle Cove universe or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but his cousin even has a sense of duty toward him. He, he's a man to look up to you know yeah however they're kind of struggling because as they're marching along the path to lewis's manor there are a bunch of sheep in the road <laughs> like a lot a lot a lot of sheep and they can't get the sheep to move they just won't and colin has the bright idea <laughs> that they should bomb the sheep <laughs> what do we do with sheep bomb them they don't intend to hurt the sheep. They just intend to scare the sheep so they'll run away and be off the path. <laughs> so that bombing, booming noise that Susanna heard, <laughs> she heard the bombing of the sheep. It's a thing. <laughs> She's running down the path, worried about her father. She sees some soldiers out there. She's like, what the heck are these soldiers doing here? They can't bring anything good to Spindle Cove. <laughs> You know, they're like, stop, stop. And she's just hauling ass. And then all of a sudden, someone pulls her off the path and knocks her to the ground and rolls on top of her just as an explosion goes off, saving her life. And it's Brom, our hero. <laughs> Yay. And of course, what does he do in this moment? Does he ask if she's okay? Does he Hopefully. get up off of her, apologize, and give her a lift, you know, give her a hand up? Maybe? No, he kisses her. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she likes it, but she's concerned. <laughs> we don't go around kissing complete strangers and 
Well, anywhere, really, but especially in Regency-era England. (laughs) (laughs) That is a no-no. Her dress is all ripped up. It's, like, quite unseemly. Her left boob is almost hanging out. No one tells her about this, by the way. They just oogle. When they finally stop kissing and they stand up and start talking to other people, Susanna starts to think that Brahm is probably, you know, not all right in the head. Like, maybe he suffered some sort of (laughs) mental injury in the war. And so she's kind of talking down to him a little bit. I don't know, not like condescending, but like, are you okay? Like, (laughs) who are you with? Who's watching you? (laughs) Like one might to a lost child, perhaps. And he goes along with it because he's like, hey, she's giving me attention. She's pretty. It's fine. Yeah, not only that, but he's also kind of a little struck dumb by how attracted he is to her, I think. His wits are just not there at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) and colin comes over she's like how long has he been like this and colin's like oh he's been like this forever like all his life (laughs) thank you colin brahm puts an end to it nope nope i am of sound mind and i am going to see sir lewis finch and she's like no that's my dad why would you go see him (laughs) this is horrible so eventually susanna's gone home because she's quite concerned. Brom and his men have also arrived and they have a meeting with Lewis. Brom has sent him a letter ahead of time asking for his help. Unfortunately for him, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, Lewis is like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not doing that. That's not okay for you. (laughs) I would be sending you out to die. However, I have a solution for you. How about... Ta-da, you're an earl now. And that dilapidated (laughs) castle over there is now yours. And guess what? You get to raise a militia of 24 dudes and put on a show of strength for some lords this summer. Eh? Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Don't you love my plan? Isn't it amazing? He does not love his plan. (laughs) He does not think it's amazing. He feels like his life is crashing down around his ears. This is not working for him. That's unfortunate. So (laughs) Lewis goes out and talks to everyone else, including Susanna, and tells them the plan. Susanna does not like this. So one, she feels like that castle is her castle, even though it's technically not. When they moved there, her dad was like, look, that's your castle. And since it's abandoned, she's always gone over there and played, and it's like a place to hang out and be alone and have daydreams, and it's a magical place for her that is now no longer hers. In addition, (laughs) her father makes her get down this clay model of the castle off of a high shelf that Susanna had made when she was like 14, and she knows it sucks and she's kind of embarrassed about it. And not only that, but it's a tall shelf and her dad points out, oh, yes, you can reach it. I can't because Susanna is taller than her father. (laughs) So Susanna's like, great. So I'm freakishly tall. And here is my ugly clay castle that I made when I was a child. My father's (laughs) going to show it to you. It's wonderful. Love this. (laughs) Thirdly, we do not want a militia in Spindle Cove. 
It would ruin the atmosphere for the young ladies. Those men belong elsewhere, not mucking up Spindle Cove. Thank you very much. <laughs> she doesn't say any of this. However, she does get him one good dig. She, she mentions how a militia in Spindle Cove would be pretty much useless because their area is pretty much secluded and highly unlikely to be at- attacked. Brom does not like this and he's like militias aren't useless they're essential (laughs) England is at war (laughs) might I remind you she snipes back at him and she's like yeah duh I know England's at war here are all my opinions on that and I'm super well educated on the subject by the way and you suck (laughs) your place here it is you've been put there And Brom is struck dumb. And I think Susanna in the moment thinks that he's judging her. But really, he likes it. Yes, he's into it. (laughs) Ooh, an educated young lady who understands my job. Wow. He's attracted to the mind in addition to the body. So her dad says, oh, Susanna, why don't you go take these guys out to the castle and show Brom his new digs. Susanna's like, great, wonderful, love that for me. Thanks, Dad. So they go out there. It's falling down. It looks like crap. I mean, it's a ruined castle. So it looks like <laughs> crap if you're going to live there. But it looks amazing if you're going sightseeing, right? Lives up to expectation. Yes. Brom informs her he's going to be camping on his land. Susanna's like, I was pretty sure my dad was going to invite you to stay with us. Brom's like, yeah, no, I'm living here now. (laughs) Too bad. They snipe a little bit. It gets a little heated in a sexual tension sort of way. And Brom has decided he needs to warn her off because her dad is the man he needs something from. And the last thing he needs to do is mess with that dude's daughter. (laughs) He shouldn't have kissed her. And he's really glad she didn't tell. So he's like, stay away from me. Next time you find yourself under me, you won't escape so easily. And she's like, you're a beast. (laughs) And he says, just a man. Just a man. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So after she leaves, Colin enlightens Bromwell Brom about Spindle Cove. It has a reputation where it is called Spinster Cove, and the women there are quote-unquote man-eaters. <laughs> Cannibals, yay! <laughs> oh dear, yes. I love this quote, where Brahm asks Colin, since when do you complain about an excess of women? And he replies, <laughs> these are not your normal spinsters. They're unbiddable and excessively educated. How bad. so bad so awful back with Susanna we've learned that the Highwoods have decided to stay after all and they're super excited about it the oldest daughter Diana she's the one who's kind of sickly she's kind of quiet she's classically lovely the middle daughter Minerva basically belongs in Spindle Cove let's be honest she's a geologist she Cares about that more than anything else, pretty much. She wears glasses. How dare she want to see 
I think she sees herself as a protector of women as well, because throughout the story, there's a few times where she fights off yeah. men that she feels are acting inappropriately. Yeah, like she wants to defend her sister Diana's honor, because she's like, hey, I don't have a dad and an older brother to do it, so my job, beware of flying rocks. And the younger sister, the youngest sister is named Charlotte, and she's still... She's a teen. She's a child, as far as everyone is concerned. She's not ready to be out in town. Yeah, isn't she like 14 or 15, something like that? Something like that. One of the reasons I'm spending so much time on these sisters is that they are characters in later books. Mm -hmm. And Minerva is actually the heroine of book two. And Colin is the hero of book two. Yes, yes, we pair Minerva with Colin. <laughs> I really liked book two. It was a good one. Yeah, I was looking at that going, huh, I wonder how that works. So it seems very unlikely, which I like because it's intriguing. So the ladies are kind of divided into two camps. About half of the ladies staying in Spindle Cove really don't like the idea of military and militia and men being there being more prominent in town and whatnot and then about the other half are kind of excited yeah we're into men and we're actually here because <laughs> we're here because we were sent to be away from men and we like that there are men here now <laughs> eye candy husband potential i know yeah depending on the designs brahm decides that he and his men should go down to the tavern Find some guys that they can get to sign up for the militia. When they get down to the building they suspected was the tavern, they realize there are frilly curtains and flower boxes. And there's a beautiful sign that's called the Blushing Pansy. They're like, oh my gosh, the women got to the tavern. <laughs> <laughs> it is now a tea shop and confectionery. When they go inside, the ladies who've all been hanging out, they kind of have a, I forget what they call it, but it's kind of like a talent show almost, you know, they display their talents. So you got ladies playing the pianoforte, you've got ladies reciting poetry, mm. sometimes rather violent poetry. We've got Minerva talking about rocks. I'd like to note that the poetry, like the audiobook version, since there was one and I listened to it. It was very enjoyable to listen to the poetry. <laughs> I enjoyed. The poetry is astounding. I really enjoy the poetry as well. It was great. It's written and performed by a jilted wife. <laughs> and she is very angry. <laughs> Regency era angry is great. Yes, it's lovely. The, the women are there performing and they all stop and they're like, oh no, men are in here. The men stomp in. Brahm's like, no, I'm staying. And Susanna, you're going to sit here right next to me. Oh dear. It's really funny. Um, They have this whole conversation where Susanna, she's just pissed off that he's in her space. <laughs> oh, you don't want one of these little tea cakes. You'd probably rather have a big bloody slab of steak, wouldn't you? So you could be all brutish and manly. 
We ladies here are super happy and we don't need you here. Go away. <laughs> Feel free to be elsewhere. Eventually, Brom can't stand it anymore and he leaves. Susanna follows him outside. He's trying to leave. He's trying to go off. Brom is like, I just, I don't understand why you like it here so much. Why are you so happy here? I get it for some of those other women in the tea house. But why you specifically? Because as far as Brahm is concerned, Susanna is hot with like a million teas on the end. She's got this long, burnished, red gold hair. She's tall. She's got milky white skin. She's got cute freckles. She's got piercing iris colored eyes. She's just flawless as far as Brahm is concerned. And Susanna is like, we have a community of ladies here in Spindle Cove, and we support one another with friendship, intellectual stimulation, and healthful living. And Brom's like, yeah, I can see how that could appeal to some ladies, but why you, though? And she's just really confused. She's like, I'm happy. That's what I'm doing here. I'm being happy. <laughs> He's like, are you sure? <laughs> and then he says, if you think yourself content with no man in your life, Miss Finch, that only proves one thing. You've been meeting all the wrong men. Mm -hmm. And then he rides off. Do you feel like his inability to understand why she likes it there is also his inability to understand women in society? At least from, from my perspective, he doesn't get why it would be nice for them to have a place where they have agency. Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't understand that at all. I think he gets why some women would want to be there because they don't fit in. As far as he's concerned, Susanna would fit in. Because you're pretty. Yeah, he feels like she'd fit in. And he doesn't see why someone who could fit in wouldn't want to be there. He thinks the society is objectively better than the not society that exists in Spindle Cove, I believe. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand that it's not necessarily better <laughs> and that a lot of women might find something like Spindle Cove a lot better, especially back then. Yes. So, yeah, I think my answer to your question is yes, probably. Oh, okay. <laughs> As the days go by, Rom is more and more annoyed because anytime he does anything in town or asks any question... Eventually, he gets the answer, oh, we should ask Miss Finch, or you should go see Miss Finch about that, or Miss Finch would know what to do about that. <laughs> He's like, dude, I've been trying to avoid her. I don't know if you've noticed, <laughs> but <laughs> she makes me feel things, and I just can't be having that. I'd rather not. It is a problem for him because he is super duper attracted to her and he has deemed her off limits because of her father. So there's a point where Susanna, she's super like, she's really confused. And she asks Thorne like, dude, what is wrong with your friend? <laughs> Why is he like this? Did someone drop him on his head as a child? Was he unloved? Like what happened? <laughs> Thorn is very stoic he doesn't say anything and so Susanna marches up to the castle to confront Brom he and she exchange words she basically asks him like 
Are you haunted by a tragedy? <laughs> Did war hurt you? Make you feel bitter somehow? Is this like a thing for you? Like, why are you like this? <laughs> and he tells her about how he's pissed off because he wants to be off fighting in Spain. And instead he's stuck here in the middle of nowhere raising a militia from the local men that don't seem interested at all. And not only that, but there's no escaping her because they all consider her the leader of the town, essentially. They get close and close and he like touches her and we got the sexual tension and she doesn't stop him. So he's like caressing, I think, up and down her arm. She wears gloves all the time, by the way. So he's like caressing her glove. She doesn't stop him. And then he's like, well, maybe this will scare you away. And he kisses her. And nope, that doesn't scare her away. <laughs> In fact, she views this as a challenge. She's like, no, God damn it, I'm going to kiss you back. And she's like, stands up and like forcefully like, nope, <laughs> I'm kissing back, damn it. I really liked that scene. I thought it was really cute because you have the budding heads and the sexual tension and all that. And you have him kind of kissing her almost as like a deterrent in a way. And mm. she's like, I shall not be deterred. And then all of a sudden it turns into real kissing. <laughs> it's like, oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, have I made my point? Are you leaving? <laughs> she's like, no, you haven't scared me yet. <laughs> Since it's a Regency, you get a lot, a lot of kissing, a lot of caressing over the clothes a lot of partially clothed pinky panky as it were because it's very naughty mm -hmm. but eventually she snaps out of it she's all nope this can't happen again you need to stay away from me i'm gonna stay away from you goodbye but right before she leaves she does say please 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 don't let my father participate in your militia he's old He's failing. The last time he tried to shoot his cannon, it almost killed him. <laughs> Please promise me you won't let him participate. And Brom agrees. That night, she goes and pops her head in her dad's office. Her dad is, I don't know, she sees him as a genius inventor who's often living in his head and doesn't have the ability to focus on the world around him while he's being a genius working or whatever he had, it is he's doing and she takes advantage of this because <laughs> she tells him yeah i kissed brahm today <laughs> yeah it was really good i really liked it and her dad is just like uh-huh that's nice sweetie whatever were you also looking for signs that he was actually paying attention no on my part i just thought wow that's really sad yeah i was like oh that's just your dad does not care about you as much as you think he does, sweetie. I'm sorry. Yeah. I started feeling like there were hints about the dad at this point. Did you think he was maybe paying attention? I was looking for signs of it like I was hoping. And then when I didn't see it, I was like, oh. Hmm. Yeah. If I remember correctly, like when she's sitting there, she's she unburdens herself of the secret. And so I was just going like, I wonder if very cleverly, if he's just like, uh-huh, yeah, I'm totally not listening, but he's listening. Oh. And then would somehow try to ease her concerns later on. 
find ways to to help his daughter out, but you know, obviously that doesn't happen. No, that that's not their journey. But yeah, I was looking for signs of that because I was curious. Are you actually caring? Or are you legit not paying attention because your canon is more important? Basically, the second one. Yeah, yeah. We got the bad dad trope here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> not to spoil it for you, but yep, it's coming. Just wait. The whole thing's a spoiling thing. But yes. <laughs> we say spoilers beyond this point. Buckle in. <laughs> True story. All right. So Brom has let it be known that he's going to have a call for volunteers for his militia. Susanna's really worried because she's heard that two of the village boys, they're twins named Finn and Rufus, and they are 14. The cutoff is 15. And they plan to lie about their age so they can join the militia and make money and be glorious military men. Susanna goes and confronts Brom. She's like, please. I don't even think she says please. Susanna says something like, do not let them join your militia. They are just children. Yeah. Brom's like, I'm the man here and I will see what I will see. Stay yep. in your place, woman. <laughs> so when the boys join up. He can tell that she's right. Yeah, they're obviously lying about their age. They both look pretty young. But he lets them sign up because he doesn't have a whole lot of volunteers and he needs 24 dudes. Susanna is pissed. And so all of a sudden, she's there dressed as a man with her hair all tied back. And she's like, I'm here to sign up. I am Mr. Finch now. <laughs> You're an one, Mr. Finch. Brom keeps trying to call her on it, and she's like, no, if you're going to take those boys at their word, you're going to take me at my word. She manages to impress him quite a lot because he wants her to shoot a gun, and she is really good at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she knows her way around a gun, if you know what I mean. <laughs> He's also really turned on by her dressed in men's clothing because it's quite clingy in all the right spots. And he... Does not want her to join, but he doesn't want to cave and let her win. And so he decides he's going to say something that will make her not want to join, which is that all the men in his militia need their hair cut short. And she's like, it's just hair. It'll grow back. <laughs> and she's going to chop it off. She is. You can tell she's a little pained about it, like she does not want to, but she also will not step down. One of the reasons she doesn't want to, which Brom learns later, is that during her time spent as an invalid, her head was shaved. So this is a big deal to her. Brom stops her and kind of whispers in her ear, I'm just going to make them the drummer and the fife player. Is that okay? <laughs> will you stop with this woman if I do that <laughs> she's like okay fine and then he has her cut his hair so we have some more sexual tension ramping it up because she's touching his head and he likes it and Susanna learns that Brom kind of likes the pampering <laughs> <laughs> He's a guy who's not used to soft things. He's not used to people catering to him and 
pampering him and taking care of him. And she's figured it out that that's what he's longing for. (laughs) (laughs) So he's got his group of ragtag men. They're not doing so well. He's trying to get them to march in a straight line. It's just not working. When all of a sudden he sees the ladies out at the beach, it's the day they go bathing in the sea. (laughs) The men are quite interested in watching this. Brom has a running head count of all the women out there. And at one point he notices one of them is missing and he's concerned for her safety and life. And so he stupidly dives off the cliff into the ocean, the rocky ocean. And Susanna sees him do this and she freaks out because she's like, oh my God, he just dove to his death. (laughs) What is going on here? She goes over there finds him she's like trying to wrestle him up he's like wrestling with her like what the hell is going on where's that other one that other one is missing and she goes no that other one's in that cove over there because she's the geologist and i told her there was cool stuff in there brahm's like oh (laughs) by the way you're soaking wet and that's hot (laughs) more kissing and then minerva shows up and Beans Brom over the head (laughs) with her bag in which she keeps rocks because what else would she keep in her bag? And she feels like she is protecting Susanna, saving her from this boorish man who is trying to have his way with her. Susanna is pretty worried about Brom because he gets knocked out cold. (laughs) Oops. She gets the men to carry him back to her house. Sets him up in a sick bed, is taking care of him, which is all lovely things that Brom yearns for secretly. There is a really funny uh, line or funny exchange. Now that she's taking care of him, you know, she's undressed him out of his wet clothes. She's got him set up in bed. She's noticed that he's got a bad knee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She says, this explains so much. You're compensating for this withered appendage. (laughs) And he's like, what the hell is she talking about? And he says, I don't know what sort of liberties you've taken while I was insensible, but I'll have you know that water was damn cold. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, I'm referring to your leg. (laughs) And he's like, oh, that withered appendage. Right. Got it. (laughs) so Brom is in his sick bed he is being taken care of by Susanna they share some secrets kind of she learns a little bit more about him due to his injury and her knowing about it he feels a little bit more open telling her some stuff about it and we have some bonding time he tells her about how he was gonna get his leg chopped off but managed to save it and he's gonna fix it so that he can lead on the battlefield again and all this. And she's just like, um, okay. (laughs) We get making out like he gropes her. She likes it. And then he notices her hands and she doesn't have gloves on because she's been rubbing liniment into his leg. He sees all the scars on her arms from the bloodletting and other wonderful Horrific surgical things she was subjected to. 
And so she has a show and tell time where she shares some of her past with him and he realizes the big deal it was for her to potentially cut off her hair. There's just this closeness that they're developing. Usually what a sex scene in a story like this means is that the couple has a chance to get to know each other and take care of each other and develop that intimacy. And I think the author does a really good job with it here. Yeah. She does. And one of the things he says about her scars that really stays with her for the rest of the story is that they are a sign of her strength, not Mm -hmm. a sign of weakness. And from this point on in the story, she wears gloves a lot less. And it's not necessarily something she does on purpose. It's just before she felt naked without her gloves on. And now she doesn't. So she kind of forgets to put them on. She's more exposed now. She is free. So meanwhile, while all this is happening, Colin has decided he's in charge of the militia <laughs> for the night. He feels like all these men are poor little henpecked, emasculated souls. And he's going to set things right. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to take back the tavern. He's prepared a sign to replace the blushing pansy sign that says the rutting bull. He riles all the guys up and they go into town and they take over the tavern and there's drinking and carousing and it's just a big old thing. Susanna gets notified by one of the young ladies who runs and tells on them, essentially. (laughs) She says, we've been invaded. (laughs) Susanna and Brom run down to the village to go check out the (laughs) invaders and discover essentially what I just said. The men have taken over the tavern, and the women aren't really sure what to do. But some of them are kind of enjoying themselves, I think. Yeah, I think some of them are. Susanna is really worried about some of the ladies. Like, they're too vulnerable. They don't really understand society the way that many ladies that these men are used to do. They could be taken advantage of really easily. Rama's like, yeah, no, I'm not putting a stop to this, and you shouldn't either. This is important. And there's this quote I want us to discuss. Okay. So he says, It's called pride, Susanna, and those men are getting their first taste of it in a long time. And she says, What do you mean their first taste of it? They are decent, honorable men, all. Or at least they were. And he says, Before I arrived in this village, you and your muslin-clad minions had them reduced to mending lockets and piping icing on tea cakes. You don't understand. Men need a purpose, Susanna. A worthy goal. One that we feel in our guts and our hearts, not just in our heads. And she tries to say, men need a purpose, so do women. Stupid. Mm -hmm. What do you think about his little speech there? In some ways, I think it typifies every reason why Spindle Cove slash Spinster Cove needed to be a thing. Frankly, the men in that town had a purpose. They were not deprived of employment or occupation. They just pursued something different. I I can't remember. I don't think in the story at any point where those guys are asked how they feel about how things are. I don't remember them thinking they felt unmanly or emotionally scarred or psychologically scarred because they had to repair lockets and not rifles 
<laughs> so, I mean, I think it's him going, oh my gosh, femininity, push it away. Things are soft and, and tranquil and pleasant and not at all militaristic. I don't like it. Make it go away. What about you? Oh, it really bothered me. It yeah. bothered me so much because for much of the story, I like Brom. I think he's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. He's not a unlikable hero. No. He doesn't really want to control or make the women not be able to do what they want to do. It's more like he seems to think it's bad that the men aren't doing what they typically do. Yeah. To your point about whether the men in town were happy or unhappy, I feel like there's textual evidence that the men in town were perfectly fine. Every time that the soldiers are like, oh, no, shouldn't you want this? They're all kind of confused. Like, I guess. I don't know. I was cool piping icing on tea cakes, (laughs) but I could drink ale, too. It's okay. It's so incredibly frustrating to think that or, or to have a character or a real person, if we're being honest, say that, well, if this group of people are happy and getting what they want, then that means this other group of people aren't. Yeah. Where it's like, why can't they all just be happy and get what they want? Yes. Why does it have to be one over the other all the time? In the case of most of England, it was the men are in charge and the women are, (laughs) let's be fair, subjugated. Yeah. And made to keep a very narrow place in the world, much more narrow than men were allowed to do. Yeah. Or were allowed to have. And in the village of Spindle Cove, in the story, the women aren't saying the men can't do what they want to do. The women are saying, we're going to do what we want to do. Yeah. Why can't we do what we want? And the men who stayed in Spindle Cove adapted. Yes. How is that bad? It's not. I know Brahm is really into Susanna's fierceness and how much she cares about her town and the women and and what her work is, what her life work is. You know, I know he's into it and he likes it, Mm -hmm. but it's just really hard to see how he understands. Like, does he understand it at all? Yeah, I don't think he does. That's why I asked you that question earlier. Does he get her argument? Because I don't think he does. I think he doesn't understand why the place is important. Ultimately, for them to be happy, he does fit in in a way. And the men do the men things and the women do the women things. And they all get to do what they want, essentially. Mm -hmm. But I wish we had some more time in the story spent on them having this argument and actually talking it out. Because I don't feel like it's really ever resolved. No, I don't feel like it's resolved either. He's like, men need to be men. And Susanna's like, that's fine, but we still want to do what we're doing. Yeah. Men can be men anywhere. Women can be what they want to be here alone. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, the concept of having women-only spaces. Mm-hmm. You're not being left out by not being included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and to acknowledge the fact that it can be important for those 
of like mind and like experience to get together. Yeah. And if you're in the privileged group in the equation, Mm -hmm. then essentially you can do whatever you want, wherever you want, at least compared to what the less privileged group can do. The scene where the women get to participate in, in the drinking and the fun and all of that. I was of two minds when I was listening to it. Cause I'm like, on one hand, yeah, they should be able to do whatever they want. But on the other hand, I'm like going, ooh, Regency era England, bad. Not because it is bad, but just because like, <laughs> this sounds so terrible and I hate saying this, but like they cannot think that they can go other places and do that. Like there are right. social repercussions potentially generational, depending on who and what happens, if they don't behave a certain way, which is the kind of thing that Bram just doesn't get or doesn't seem to. And that Colin, of course, doesn't get at all. No. Maybe that's his journey in book two. I don't know, because I haven't read it. It is very much like... (laughs) Sounds terrible. But to put it in capitalistic terms, I don't know why my brain is doing this. I apologize in advance. The one small town that, like, holds out against the big box store. Yeah. Coming in and and changing their community entirely. It's just like, that store literally has the rest of the world. Why do they need this one town? Yeah. Can they not make enough money literally anywhere else? Everywhere else. They can, because they're everywhere. Now, to be fair to Bram, he's kind of stuck, too. In a way. Yeah. I'm not trying to be unfair to him. Right. I don't think you are, but I I feel like I was. No, you're just, you're pointing out a, I don't even know if it's an inconsistency, but it's, it's a point of view that, that I don't think is uncharacteristic of him. It's just frustrating, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's stuck too, because he's, uh, granted, it's a prison of his own making, I guess, but he Somewhat. feels like he needs to be back on the field in command, and he feels this is the only way he's going to get to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's a bit imprisoned by his body, because his leg was injured. Like, does that mean he then can't make strategic decisions on a map? <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. He's been offered multiple promotions that he's turned down. Because he wants to be on the field. Mm. Due to that sense of closeness that he does not want to lose with his late father. Right. So that's what I mean by it being of his own making. Mm. He has other opportunities. He's just decided that this is the only way he will ever, ever be happy. And it's the hill he's willing to die on. Yeah. And it just shows how much privilege he really has because... He has other fucking opportunities. Yeah. Susanna's choices are Spindle Cove or be reviled in society. Woohoo! Essentially, right? Right. And many of the women in Spindle Cove have that same choice, if you can even call it that. Yeah. Meanwhile, I mean, not to... Because I do feel for him having an injured leg and feeling like he's lost his purpose in life and all that. It is very human. But at the same time, part of me is just like, boo-hoo, poor you. Yeah. Go take your high-paying promotion (laughs) and live your life, dude. Yeah, it's it's hard to feel 
Doomish, I mean, he shows up and he's literally like, want to be an Earl? Actually, it's not even if you want to be an Earl. You get to be an Earl. Uh-huh. Uh, oh my gosh, Here, here's millions of, of dollars, which this is not what it is, but here's millions of dollars, whether or not you want it. <laughs> here's a title, land, a castle. I mean, granted, the castle is a little decrepit. He's the law of the land, like he is the lord. He does the sort of yeah. administering of the legal decisions. Magistrating? Whatever. I'm making up words now. Yeah, I, I get it. It's it's very difficult to feel sorry for him. At the same time, it's like, yes, the betrayal of your body sucks. And not not getting to do what you want sucks. And so to proceed with the story... <laughs> Now we have the sex scene, okay? <laughs> Woohoo! So he's he's like, let my men be men, Susanna. And she's like, what about us? What about our one place on earth where we can be ourselves? <laughs> and he's like, no, you want this. And he kisses her. Let me persuade you with my penis. Yeah. So then they start making out. Okay. <laughs> They're not inside they're outside next to the tavern okay guys breezy <laughs> folks and he's like oh just let me see your shift it's been so long since i've seen a lovely girl in a simple white shift and then he's like oh let me just kiss you just kisses oh i promise it's just kisses but oh but i'm gonna kiss you there mm -hmm. and then they have sex and it's wonderful of course and she consents she's aware of what's going on she wants it too. Yes. It is well written. I'm going to give the author credit for that. It is very well written. It's it's great. However, it's right after they have that <laughs> argument and it just really <laughs> fucking pissed me off. And there, for an argument for which there is no satisfying resolution. None. None at all. <laughs> or is the resolution the sex scene? I, I don't know. Has he proved her wrong? I don't know. What what is I I'm trying to recall what is her attitude towards him after that? Cuz she's in in lovey-dovey, right? She kind of is viewing this as like a one-off, I think, because she's like I'm just going to enjoy it, you know? I've never been physically attracted to a man before. This is exciting and new. He likes me back. I'm going to just run with it. I'm a powerful woman and I'm going to own my sexuality. Okay. Like, I feel like we get a good feminist sort of viewpoint from Susanna, really. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't feel very feminist as a reader to me. Yeah. Because it's like, shut up, lady. Here's my magic dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I shall fuck you into submission. <laughs> Penis solves all. Again... It was a very nicely crafted sex scene, very sexy, very naughty, quite titillating, but just right on the tail edge of that argument, right in the middle of town, outside. He's aware, mind you, that this could completely ruin Susanna. Yep. Her and, reputation. And her father. Everything she's worked for. Yeah. Because, I mean, that that's the thing with rumination is it's like, it doesn't just hurt her. It will hurt her family. Yeah, but I don't give two shits about her father. I care about Susanna 
at her life's work. Well, I know, but I'm just saying the concept. The concept. Because, <laughs> for yeah. example, like when Colin kind of, he flirts with everybody and he's flirting with Diana. That, I think, is part of the problem that I think Minerva should have. It kind of irritates me later because it, it happens. <laughs> I get irritated in the future where Colin's like, oh, no, what you're upset at is that I didn't flirt with you. Yeah. I'm like, no, that isn't. And then when it turns out to be that thing, I'm just like, oh, God's sakes. <laughs> There's kind of like a push pull with the feminist through line in this book. Yes. It comes off like it wants to be really feminist with the Spindle Cove angle and the really empowered young ladies and they get to do whatever they want and it's wonderful. And then the men come in and now they're doing what the men want. Now the females conform to the norm of society. So yay, it's fine. Yeah. It, they don't fully conform, but yeah, it feels like what they had was cheapened. Yes. And that's not to say that they can't have men in the town and still have what they have. I think if we had had different male characters, it's very possible that we wouldn't have had to have that feeling of cheapness. I don't feel like Bram ever reaches a point where he is like, I see value in femininity and the value that this place has for women. Yeah, no, it's I see value in Susanna and I want her to be happy. So I'll go along with what she wants. Yes. Which that's sort of a romance. I don't know if trope is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. It's kind of a romance thing. Because sometimes some of the conditions of the genre seem to dictate certain mindsets that feel problematic at times. Because the man has to be so overtaken with the woman. Yeah. And it's all about her, not good and bad with that. But yes. Yeah. So anyway, we get the sexy times. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> They're happy. Woohoo. Good chemicals. Yeah, they got some good chemistry going on. They're both kind of, I think, at a place where that was really awesome and I'd love to do it again, but we probably shouldn't because mm -hmm. of Susanna's dad. Then they get interrupted. They're done and they're relatively decent, but. Are they? No. <laughs> They get interrupted because Diana has an asthma attack. Yes. Due to all the excitement and the dancing. And it's very dangerous for her. She does have a tincture that Susanna has made for her. And they manage to bring it back to her and everything. Susanna is on point. She's the woman in charge once again. And Bram is now feeling like... She doesn't need me at all. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything for her. She's totally fine by herself. Mm -hmm. And yet I took her virginity outside in the middle of town where anyone could have seen. There may have been a problem with that. I'd like to think that he thinks he's a louse, but he really doesn't seem to. He just thinks he's let her down by not being able to help her. And by not putting a stop to the tavern taking over like she asked him to. I have a question. Do you think that's a gender role problem? I just think 
it seems more common that male characters will be like, well, if she doesn't have a use for me. What good am I? But it doesn't seem like female. Yeah, it doesn't seem like female characters ever have that. Or it's not framed in the same way. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, there's a problem happening. And he jumps in and she's standing around going like, I need an occupation. Give me something to do. How can I help? Because the assumption, too, is that she'll need help. She can't just handle it on her own. I feel like usually the female character's version of that is, how could he possibly see me as a value? Mm. Uh It's about her value to him. So it's similar. Whereas with the men, with the male characters, it seems more framed around need. She doesn't need me. Mm -hmm. Where the female characters are more like unbelieving of the fact that he could think she's worthy of him. Okay. Which doesn't really speak well for <laughs> uh, gender roles. Um. I was just curious, because, yeah, when he was in that, having that thing, it was just a question that occurred to me. Yeah, well, I and it's, I think that's a trope, not just in romance, but just a cross-genre trope in all sorts of media where men need to feel needed. Mm-hmm. Women assume they are needed, I think. But they don't necessarily feel like they're worthy of being valued. Maybe they don't like why they're needed or what they're needed for. Yeah. I mean, we've read plenty of books, I think, where the woman's like, oh, I'm just pretty. I'm not bringing anything else to the table. Mm. Yes. And then the man has to bolster her self-esteem. Like, no, no, you have all these wonderful things going for you. And she's like, oh, you're right. I'm fixed now. (laughs) See how I sparkle? I am wonderful. It's just another problem with the male gaze, I think, really, in a way, because it's the man telling her, oh, no, see, I see you now. Therefore, you have value. Yeah. She didn't see it for herself. He had to point it out. It's like any stupid pop love song where the man's like, you don't know how beautiful and wonderful and amazing you are. And I love that about you. It's like, (laughs) ew. You were ignorant of yourself. I love it. Yeah. I'm into it. Or like that social experiment that was going around social media like oh, years ago now. I'm kind of dating myself. But where a woman was like, when a man online compliments you, just say thank you and see how mad he gets. Mm. Because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried it, but I've tried it. I don't think I ever had. You have such nice eyes. Thank you. Yes. Then she stuck up. Yeah. Now there's a problem. How dare you have pride in yourself? Yes. She has to have low self-esteem so I can bolster her. How dare you know that you're amazing and beautiful and smart (laughs) and talented and all those things? How dare you know that about yourself? You and your self-confidence. You slut. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. My brain is is my brain. Anyway. All right. So anyway, (laughs) on that weird note, let's awkwardly transition to something else. (laughs) Don't worry, folks. Diana is fine. Everyone's fine. It's okay. Yay. So after Susanna has made sure Diana's fine, she goes back to check on the other women. They happen to notice that her dress isn't quite properly done up the way it should be. Hmm. And there's this really interesting thought. See, we go back into the feminist side of things because 
she's thinking to herself, I just had wild, amazing sex, and I'm not allowed to say anything about it. Yeah. She finds that really sad. You know, it's kind of like a little social commentary in her head where in order to keep Spindle Cove safe, I have to be quiet about this because otherwise this place will get a reputation because of me, because I'm in charge of it. Do you feel like this was an opportunity for her to make a more accepting atmosphere for the ladies of Spindle Cove? Because if I remember correctly, I think Minerva points that out. Her attire being out of place or not quite right. Mm -hmm. And then Susanna dismisses it almost in an insulting way. Yeah, she says, no, I fell down. Be quiet. This is over. Yes. And I don't think she ever apologizes to Minerva about that. No, she doesn't. That personally really irritated me. There are so many other ways, especially by the time it's brought up in the story, for her to have addressed what Minerva was seeing, maybe bring her into the confidence or something, rather than leave it how it is and then yell isn't the right word, but snap at her. Yeah. Shut her down. Yeah. Yeah, I found that scene a little upsetting, too, for the same reason. But I do think, like, I agree that what Susanna did is in line with her character because her primary concern is making sure Spindle Cove retains its reputation as a safe place for young ladies. Mm -hmm. She's mostly worried about young ladies who are quote unquote sickly and are being cured to death, essentially Mm -hmm. like herself. So it's part of her working through her own trauma in a way. Yeah. I think that, For her to be open at all about what just happened, you know, the sexy times, Mm -hmm. that would open up this whole opportunity for it to get out. And then Spindle Cove would no longer be that safe haven that she's worked so hard to make it. Yeah. So to me, it totally makes sense that she would shut Minerva down like that. It wasn't kind, But I think for her character, it was the right choice because of her motivations. I think there was an opportunity for her to be like, yeah, no, we can have sexy times at Spindle Cove. Yay. (laughs) But the other part of that, though, is if that gets out, who's going to come to Spindle Cove? Men looking to take advantage of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, not only would the men come, but the women wouldn't come at all. Mothers would keep their daughters away, that kind of thing. The business, the nature of the businesses would change. Yeah, the women wouldn't be allowed to come. Everything would be different. It would be like every other seaside place then. She doesn't want to ruin that. She doesn't want to imperil that at all. And she does have a thought in this moment where she's like, I can't change society. I can only do so much. Mm -hmm. And what she's decided she can do is have this safe haven, this retreat for the women. And unfortunately, that means sticking with society's rules, at least as far as appearances go. Playing by the rules. Speaking of Spindle Cove being ruined, now there's talk of some of the women leaving because it's possibly no longer safe because of the whole tavern (laughs) situation. Bram is feeling kind of guilty about that because it's kind of his fault. (laughs) 
He should feel guilty. Yep. Colin is now forced to apologize to everybody. Bram agrees he's going to keep his men tightly reined in. And I'm going to marry you, Susanna. That will fix everything. Hmm. Because we can't have you being ruined. (laughs) That's unacceptable. Susanna does not want this. She's very, very worried about this. Because Bram is intending to go offer for her right now. He's going to go talk to her dad. And she's like, you're going to tell him what we did last night? He's all no, but he'll probably assume something happened (laughs) when I offer for you so quickly. And she's like, no, no, you, you cannot do that. That is not okay. You just want to, what, marry me because of what you think is right? And then what, you're just going to leave me? She feels really conflicted because she's kind of feeling lovey-dovey feels for him. Yeah. She's at a place where maybe she would like to marry him if he loved her and wanted to have a real relationship with her, but not like this. Not as an obligation. No, there's this very funny scene where (laughs) Bram goes to talk to Lewis and Susanna follows him. And every time Bram tries to bring up something that happened that night, Susanna interjects and makes it sound innocent. (laughs) I think it's well written. Basically, she's she says that they've decided to work together, the men and the women, to to have the militia demonstration be a success and everything. Her father's like, well, why did you interrupt me then? Why was that so important to tell me? And she's like, oh, well, we want to have a ball. Can we can we host a ball at our house, dad? He's like, yeah, sure. That's fine. Whatever. (laughs) Ball it up. But then (laughs) they leave and they're talking in the hallway. They've left her dad off to go back to his inventing genius-itude. <laughs> and Bram is feeling kind of still upset and put out. He's like, I just feel like this isn't right. I feel like it needs to be open. I-, I can't stand lying. I can't stand the deceit. This is horrible. Your dad is doing so much for me. And Susanna goes, okay. And so <laughs> she's like, as her dad is just kind of working, well, kind of in his work mindset. And she's like, Oh, Lord Rycliffe and I were just having a scandalous clandestine affair. (laughs) And then her father starts laughing. (laughs) Like, oh, okay. Sure you are, honey. (laughs) Yep. So then they rally, they rally with the militia and the women. And they're like, we're going to work together. Yay. The men are going to do training in this way. Susanna is going to help them learn how to shoot straight. I thought that was kind of (laughs) cool. Yes, that was cool. The women are going to sew all the uniforms. Everyone's going to get ready for this ball. In addition to all the training that we're doing, it's going to be wonderful. And then Susanna goes, oh, Bram, there's something else we need to work on alone. (laughs) He's like, oh, really? Okay, then. And she takes him out into the ocean at night. They're in like the hidden part where the cove is. And she gets him out into the water. He's naked. She's wearing a bathing costume. He's like, oh, I thought you'd be naked too. And she has a ball and chain (laughs) that she attaches to his injured leg and has him do some physical therapy in the water. 
Because she's determined she's going to help his leg get better. Because she's like, if you're determined to go back out on the field, by gosh, you're going to be 100%. Because <laughs> she cares about him. Mm-hmm. And of course, they have the sexy times. Because why don't they? And now Bram is stuck on the topic of marriage because he wants to marry her. Has he said he loves her? No. Has he admitted to himself that he loves her? No. But he really is obsessed with this marriage idea and he wants to know why she never got married. Why isn't she interested in that? What's going on with you, Susanna? I thought this was something women all wanted. (laughs) She just doesn't want to marry him unless he loves her or at the very least will have a real relationship with her instead of treating her like a problem to be solved. He's not treating her like a problem to be solved. He's treating the fact that they're having illicit sex as a problem to be solved, I guess. Really? Yeah. There is this really nice part when they do the sexy times. I really like this bit, especially because the other sexy times pissed me off so much. (laughs) Where he says, say you're mine. Say you're mine. You belong to me. Hmm. That's very tropey. That comes up in so many romance books. And often it can be very hot. Sometimes it's kind of icky. In this case, Susanna is personally a little icked out by it. She doesn't want to say she's his. She's worked really hard to have control over her own life and her own body, especially after suffering from the horrible surgeons when she was younger. And so what she says to him is... I claim sole possession of my body, my heart, and my soul. And tonight I choose to share them all with you. And I thought that was awesome. I love that. Yeah, I like that too. And he liked it too. He was into it. So we have some more times where their days are passing and they're getting ready for the demonstration and sneaking off to fuck. I mean, that's essentially what this section is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Some of the women notice that Susanna has been going without gloves and... She realizes, oh, yeah, that's right. I haven't been wearing them so often. So there's a point where she finally says to him, we can't do this anymore. He doesn't necessarily stop trying, but they haven't talked for a few days. He doesn't know if she loves him. I think it's Colin who tells him, well, if you don't know if she loves you, you should go ask her, dummy. He's like, oh, yeah, I probably should do that. Uh, He finds her in the tavern slash tea parlor they end up dancing it's really really sweet and she tells him that she loves him no and he says oh does that mean i can propose to you and she goes yeah try it out see what happens (laughs) and just as he's about to her dad shows up oh how nice he's like what the heck are you doing susanna excuse you much (laughs) hmm And she's like, oh, we were just dancing, but I love him. And her dad's like, yeah, that's nice. Uh, Bram, here are the written orders for you to go off on a boat and go fight in Spain. This is what you wanted. Get out of here. Adios. You're leaving Tuesday. Thanks for getting together my militia and setting up this demonstration so I can show off my brand new cannon. Really appreciate that. Thanks a lot, guy. I've been using you this whole time. (laughs) And Susanna, you're just a stupid woman. Nice. Ugh. Yeah, it's bad. Um, Bram 
he's kind of at a loss for words initially. He's like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Susanna, she tries to argue and her dad tells her, shut your mouth, know your place. And she runs off. She's just really upset. It's really fucked up because we learn just how bad Sir Lewis actually is. Bram goes to follow her and Sir Lewis stops him and says, she gets this way. All women do. She'll sort it out on her own, just leave her alone. <sighs> Bram tells Lewis off because he can, because he's the Earl in the situation, which is pretty fun. <laughs> he's like, one nice thing about me being an Earl is that I can tell you to fuck off. Ha ha ha. <laughs> no taking back. My Earlness. And not only that, but you've given me these orders, so you don't hold any power over me at all. He goes to find Susanna. She's upset. He tells her maybe she'd feel better if she hit him. And so she punches him fucking hard in the stomach. So hard that he's like, oh my gosh, like, oof. And she's like, you told me to do my worst. And he's like, I didn't realize your worst was so bad. (laughs) That reminds me of the, the Colin and Minerva moment for reasons. You know, she's like, I want to have pistols at dawn. She wants to duel with him. He's like, no, I've seen you shoot. You'll kill me. Yeah. (laughs) No, thank you. We're not doing that. (laughs) You are quite good at that. (laughs) The underestimation. It was just amusing. Yeah. Susanna confides in Bram that she's worried about the cannon. The cannon doesn't work. My dad's been working on this thing for ages, and the last time he shot it, it almost killed him, and I don't think he's ever going to fix it so it actually works. He's going to end up killing himself at this demonstration. And now if you leave on Tuesday, how am I going to live with myself? Because I love you and I'm going to miss you. We get some kissing and some fucking, and he's like asking her to come with him when he leaves, and she's asking him to stay with her, and we're just not sure what's going to happen. They're kind of at this point where like, oh no, what are we going to do about the future? But they're interrupted by a very loud blast and a bunch of screaming. (laughs) Always good. So Colin was in charge of the fireworks for the demonstration. The two boys, Finn and Rufus, found out there were fireworks and they started playing with them. As you do when you're a kid. Yeah. And then Sir Lewis shows up and decides to show off his cannon early and blows off Finn's foot. (laughs) He also injures himself, but fuck him. I don't care about him. (laughs) Susanna runs along with Bram to go see what happened. They get Finn kind of situated. They're going to take him to the blacksmith. That's where surgery takes place (laughs) back then. (laughs) She checks on her dad. He's fine, just kind of addled. She makes him go home. All he cares about is his cannon. Oh, my cannon got destroyed. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's like, dude, you almost killed a kid. Yeah. My cannon. <laughs> Fucker. <laughs> they get Finn all set up at the blacksmith shop. He's ready to amputate Finn's foot because... There's no putting it back together. Bram, overcome with his own past fears and such, his own situation that he experienced with his knee, 
is like, no, no amputation. I'm going to go get a surgeon. Susanna's like, WTF, Bram, he's going to die while you ride for hours, literally hours and hours <laughs> to go bring a surgeon back. Bram is like, Thorn, that's his man that protected him when he was in danger of amputation. He's like, don't let anyone amputate on this boy until I return with a surgeon. Susanna goes off to talk to him before he rides away. And she's like, please don't do this. They have a bit of a tiff because he's so, I think, scared and angry. He feels out of control. He tells her that she's putting her own fear of doctors in front of helping Finn. He's like, you're going to sentence him to life as an invalid with only one foot because you're scared of doctors. And she's like, no, you're scared of what's happening to Finn. Yeah. He's like, no, you're scared. And it's just this whole thing. And he's like, why won't you leave with me? And she's all, I love you, but home is where people need you. He's like, this is never going to be my home. <laughs> and if you amputate that boy's foot, I will never be able to look at you the same. It's pretty bad. He rides off. Susanna's like, well, gotta save this boy's life. And she talks to Thorn and she says, I know you're loyal to Bram, but if he returns and finds this boy dead, he's going to be devastated. Please let us amputate. And Thorn says, okay, you're right. And he lets him take care of Finn. So Bram rides three fucking hours to the next town to find a surgeon because he wants this specific surgeon that saved his leg gets this guy out of bed and then they ride three fucking hours back to spindle cove the whole time the surgeon's like you know he's probably dead now <laughs> you're dumb you're you're an idiot bram he says you had a capable blacksmith and an experienced apothecary all prepared to amputate but you told them to hold off for eight or nine hours. <laughs> yeah, pretty fucked up. Bram is thinking to himself, yeah, you're right. I am an idiot. The two smartest people I know, this particular surgeon and Susanna, agree. And I picked the other thing. And I'm probably wrong. And if this boy is dead, I'm going to be so fucked up over it. But Susanna has never cowed to me. So hopefully... She went ahead with it. <laughs> and when he gets back, the surgery's over. Finn will be okay. He's not, I mean, he's not great right now, but he'll be okay. And Bram is able to help him feel okay about losing his foot. It's going to be okay. We're going to get you the best false foot you can have. Privately thinking I'm going to pay for him to go through school if he wants to. And we're going to just make sure Finn has a really good life. The reason he tells Finn is that he doesn't want it to get out that his militia doesn't have good pensions. <laughs> <laughs> One of Finn's concerns is that he is the drummer for the militia. And because he's injured, he can't march and he can't drum. And Bram's like, oh, don't worry about the review. We're not going to do it anyway because Sir Lewis is an asshole, essentially. <laughs> Finn's like, no, we can't not do it. We've all worked so hard. And Bram realizes, yeah, it's true. The village has come together as a whole to work together to make this review a success. And for him to cancel it just because of Sir Lewis being an ass 
It just wouldn't be right. So they decide to go through with the review. One of the women, the music tutor, dresses up in a uniform and pretends to be Finn so she can drum for everybody. Drum, drum, drum. And it turns out great. Susanna isn't there, though. Yeah, ever since she got home, she hasn't been feeling very well. Hmm. She had fallen at some point, I think. Yes. I don't remember exactly what happened, but she fell down and she got injured. And she just pretended it was fine because of the whole situation with Finn and then Bram being an asshole and all that. And so when she gets back home, she goes to bed and everyone just lets her sleep and sleep and sleep. And when she wakes up, she feels like shit. She manages to sort of get dressed and go off and see the end of the review. But when Bram sees her and goes to talk to her, she faints. And Surgeon's still there, luckily. And we learn that she's broken some ribs and she has some internal bleeding. And she's got a bunch of blood settling on her chest, making it hard for her to breathe. And the surgeon says... Oh, well, there's a real simple solution for this. We'll just poke a hole in her and let some of that blood out. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> Susanna's like, fuck no, I'd rather die. <laughs> Bram manages to calm her down. She says, well, I trust you. Do you trust this man with my life? And Bram says, yes, he does. And so she agrees to the procedure. And once it's done, yay. Yay. Except she has fever now. Of course she does. Of course you're going to have fever. And Bram is sitting at her bedside for days and days because they made a promise that he wouldn't leave her if she wouldn't die. There's a point where Bram and Lewis have a conversation about Susanna where Bram tells him, I'm going to marry your daughter, FYI. And Lewis is like, uh, yeah, no, you didn't really ask me, did you? Ram's like, nope, I didn't. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> it's cool if you want to give me your blessing and all, but Susanna can decide. <laughs> Lewis is just concerned about his legacy. One of these days, I'm going to have the canon perfected, and it's going to be the greatest invention in the world, and then you'll see. That's my legacy. And Bram goes, no, your legacy is your child. <laughs> and she's amazing. And you don't even see it. And then there's a fun thing where Sir Lewis is like, I should never have gotten you that title. And Bram's like, ha ha, fuck you, loser. <laughs> and then Susanna wakes up. She's okay. We find out that Bram isn't going to leave. He stayed. It's after Tuesday, so he missed the ship to Spain. He tells her he accepted a promotion he was offered a while ago, so they're going to have to have a home in London, but they can also come to Spindle Cove, so she's going to get to still be in Spindle Cove, at least part-time, if she stays with him, and she loves that, and she's excited, and of course she, she wants to marry him, but she really wants to hear him say he loves her, and she says, do you think you could love me at least a little? And he, and he does that stupid thing that I hate, where it's like, no. And then there's a pause. And then he goes, because I love you so much, like times a million. <laughs> it's like, uh, my guy, this was not the moment for that. <laughs> but she likes it. Yes, this is true. They kiss. So we get an epilogue six weeks later. 
they're about to be married. Bram comes back home to Spindle Cove and notices that there is now a sign above the tavern. So now it's no longer the running bull. It's no longer the blushing pansy. It's the blushing bull. So they've kind of merged the men and the women. They coexist <laughs> happily together. It's a symbol. Yay. And then he gives Susanna a ring and it's happy and the end. How was the audiobook? Uh, the audiobook is good. It was narrated by Carolyn Morris. And yeah, I feel like she did a really good job narrating. Very good at finding the characters like emotional motivations. I felt like it was good. Should I continue with the series? I feel like I will look forward to her other performances. Are, are you happy for their happy M? I'm happy Susanna got her man. And What's-His-Face isn't going to then go off to war. I don't know if I'm so much happy for him. <laughs> I don't feel like... I don't know. Like, sometimes we talk about whether or not characters deserve things. Yeah. I don't know if I feel like he earned it. <laughs> okay. So, I don't know. Why don't you feel like he earned it? I think there are just things I wish he realized that he didn't seem to, and maybe that's partly because the nature of the genre. I don't know. Well, were you happy for them? Yeah, I was happy for them. Yay. I mean, my critique aside, I think they're well-suited. Mm-hmm. They had good chemistry. Yeah, there's good chemistry. I like the butting of heads. They're both stubborn jackasses sometimes. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were well-matched. I think... You make a good point in that did Brown deserve it? I don't know. I think he tries. Yes, he does try. And that's admirable. I think in a historical, it can be hard. I see your point. So let's rate them. How did you rate Susanna? I thought Susanna was awesome. You know, she she built and shepherded her community. She tried to bravely preserve it. She overcame her obstacles. She got what she wanted, a.k.a. her man. Um, yeah, I thought she was awesome. What about you? I rate Susanna awesome as well. I really enjoy a headstrong, non-conforming heroine in a historical. I liked that there was a bit of a feminist bent to a lot of the story, even though there were parts where it kind of fell flat for me. I like how passionate she was about her life's work and protecting those women and that community that she herself built and nurtured. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool that she was so successful at creating such a safe space. I thought that was great. As much as I hate her dad, I find it admirable that she forgives him. Yeah. One thing I'm worried about though, is that she was willing to marry Bram, even if he didn't love her. Yeah. But maybe that's just the time period. It made her feel a little desperate. I guess it depends on if she has the idea that I'll marry him, but he'll love me in time. Or notions of of what romantic love is is different in that time period versus now. Yeah, that was what I was maybe thinking. Yeah. I mean, marriage was definitely, I mean, I tend to think of it more as a job then than it is now. Yeah. 
at least in our country, it's it's more of an option or the Western world. It's not necessarily a have to. It's a either want to or get to. There wasn't really any evidence in the text to suggest that she thought maybe he'd grow to love her. Mm-hmm. And so it felt to me just a bit pathetic where at the beginning of the story, she's of the mind that she doesn't need a man and her town is fine the way it is. And by the end of the story, she's willing to marry a man who doesn't love her because she loves him so desperately. Yeah, like you said, maybe it's an awkward representation of feminism. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is, is it's, well, characters, people, you know, whoever get to choose what they want. And if that's what they want, then yay. Yeah. It does definitely feel like, as you're saying that, it does definitely feel like she starts off the story in a position of power and head held high and whatnot but she's an authority figure yeah but certainly by that point in the story and maybe by the end it's more that she's subservient at least in that particular sense of being willing to settle for an uneven love yes i think that's really the only way in which she cows ultimately and that's why i don't change my rating from awesome to awkward it's just this one aspect of her character where i was like oh really (laughs) how did you rate bram i rated him awesome there were certain things that i appreciated and liked about him he was very earnest but he wasn't bossy for the sake of bossy like we said earlier right it felt more ingrained in his character and him seeing himself as an authority figure in a way that he carried yeah, himself. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, it also lent to his capableness and capabilities. Uh, sort of, as you said, with a historical, you know, he definitely had an appropriately historical mindset, which with not seeing or not even attempting to see Spindle Cove for the haven that it can be. Although it irritates me, I don't fault him for it. Maybe I should. <laughs> I've said this to you before, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but I don't read historical novels for historical accuracy. That I'll get from history books. Yeah. So maybe that's why sometimes I find it additionally frustrating. It's like, well, can't they have a modern mindset? (laughs) And plus, I mean, it's not like feminism was an unknown concept at the time, but he did feel awkward for me. Certain things that he did certain attitudes that he had so yeah awesome i know this is so typical of of romances but it just felt like she had to cater to his emotional needs and he just he was barely aware of his emotional needs yeah that's true she just kept trying to heal him and i'm just like okay (laughs) (laughs) know thyself dude what about you I agree with you. I also rated him awesome. For the most part, I really liked him as a hero. Mm -hmm. I thought he was a pretty good hero, honestly. He was interesting. He had really understandable motivations. He felt three-dimensional. Yes. There were plenty of moments where I felt for him, like his frustration over his knee, Mm -hmm. his uh, grief for his father. We get a reason for why he's making the choices he's making, which I really appreciated. And the reason I downgrade it from awesome to awesome is I think for the same reason you did in that he just doesn't 
ever seem to understand Susanna's side of the argument. Yeah. He lets her have her way because he loves her, but he never really seems to understand that part of her. And it's hard to know how he can love her without understanding that part of her. Yeah. Can you truly love someone if you don't truly know who they are? But can you truly know who people are? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The other side of that is, can you ever know anybody truly? I give him a bit of a pass for not being emotionally um, intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Simply because that's just how these heroes are a lot of the time. And I just don't really even think about it most of the time. But when you brought it up, it really resonated for me. I agree with you. He doesn't even realize he loves her till almost the very end. And then it's like he can't even make himself say it. Yeah. Until she basically asks him. (laughs) And that just is sad. It is. I wonder about the state of of romance heroes. It's just like, oh, we give them, like you were saying, give them a pass for being emotionally unintelligent or emotionally unavailable. It's like, should we? Probably not. (laughs) there's no right or wrong answer i'm just a lot of times even though it may sound like it sometimes i don't necessarily have an opinion i'm just asking because i'm curious societies make their choices about what they want and don't want isn't that what we're told in most of media anyway that women are the emotional ones and men are the stoic logical ones Mm mm-hmm And that's reflected in our women's fiction written by women for women. And it's kind of just like, well, we exist in this paradigm. It's hard to escape it. Which I always thought the emotion thing. I'm like, yes, but if they're allowed to feel anger, that's an emotion. Is it not? No, it's not. It's logical, damn it. Mm. That rage is logical rage. (laughs) Mine is a logical rage. Rawr. Unless it's a feminine rage, in which case it's hysteria. Yes. <laughs> Lobotomies for all. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God. Well, on that note, let's talk about our antagonist slash villains in the story, M. Ooh. Yes, let's. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess you could say society, which is effective. It's the society. (laughs) And then I feel like Bram's sense of militaristic duty Mm. is an antagonist. And I feel like that's very effective. And then (laughs) I didn't put his name. Uh, Susanna's Napoleonic papa. Oh, yes. Sir Lewis. His little Napoleon complex dad. Yeah. Sir asshole. Yeah. And he's effective. And he oh, yeah. he definitely, like, there's hints of it, but he cleverly, thanks to the writer, you know, kind of flies, I don't know if it's entirely under the radar, but definitely in the background, to where the reveal is very satisfying. I agree with that. Because then when it brought up, I was like, oh, you, you little shit. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, that was very good. What about you, your list, madam? Well, I agree with you about Sir Lewis. I thought he was very effective. I feel like the author lulls you into a false sense of security with the 
Oh, he's just the absent-minded genius inventor. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Look, he rescued his daughter from the evil surgeons. (laughs) He's a good guy. We love him. Oh, wait. He's been doing these evil machinations behind the scenes the entire time, and he literally cares about nothing but his fucking legacy. (laughs) Boo. Patriarchy bullshit. It was a very satisfying reveal. (laughs) Very effective villain in the story. We also have, I would say, Susanna and Brahms' respective pasts. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. They both have to work to overcome their past experiences so that they can meet in the middle so far as the injuries and the surgeon stuff and all that. I would say less Brahms military duty and more his sense of duty to his father and the grief he feels Mm. about the loss of his father. Okay. I feel like that's pretty effective because it keeps him on that life path that he's been on up until the very end of the story when he finally decides, no, this is better for me. To be with Susanna is better for me. Yes, his break with his own patriarchy. We have a little bit uh call out for Colin. He was fun. <laughs> he was kind of like a comic relief sort of mini villain you know because he's the rake mm-hmm. i enjoy a good rake in a regency romance i think they're they they can be very interesting characters complex sometimes i think really i mean i, I say this a lot but it's the world in which they live is kind <laughs> of an antagonist but i mean it's true yeah because that's the whole reason Susanna has worked so hard to make spindle cove the way it is if the world wasn't the way it was, we wouldn't have the story. It's a big fucking deal. Yeah. And we get it brought up multiple times in the story. Like that one moment I pointed out where after she has the sexy times and she thinks to herself, I can't change it. I can only do enough for one person. I can't fix society. How did you rate the book? I rated the book a four. I really liked it. I enjoyed. What about you? I rated it a three. It is really funny, and there is a lot of good stuff in there. I think having read the whole series, mm, mm-hmm. I feel that in some ways this book is building the world. Oh. Mm-hmm. Almost to the deficit of the couple. Okay. Because I, I do really like the couple. I think they have great chemistry and everything, but I think that some of those questions we had could have been answered if we didn't have so much to do with the world building, or maybe we could have had them answered in addition to the world building. I don't know. I often feel that about first books in the series, though, like sometimes the world building takes center stage. And then there's also some of the stuff about the feminist bent of the story that I just, I'm not sure it worked. Mm. But that said, I I did enjoy it. And I did read the entire series. So there you go. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Well, did you feel romanced yeah i did even though that first sex scene kind of pissed me off i feel like the chemistry between the two characters was really well done mm-hmm. yeah it was. and like i said earlier i feel like they're really well suited i did enjoy the romance aspect of the story for sure did you feel romanced i didn't shocker <laughs> 
But I agree with you. I feel like they did have good chemistry. That was certainly brought out in the narration. Enjoyable, bantery kind of exchanges. I think they will be well-suited in the future. They will continue with their well-suitedness. I can't get out of this. Oh, it's getting late. <laughs> um. <laughs> and whose fault is that? It's mine. <laughs> what else have you been reading? I'm not quite finished with it, but I'm in the process of listening to Truth or Beard by Penny Reed. So not all that long ago, we did... Oh, gosh. Which one was it? I didn't write it down. It was one of the Winston Brothers stories. Uh, well, this is the twin to that hero. So this is Dwayne and Jessica's love story. I love the meet cute because they know each other growing up. And then she's just like, it's the twin. And the whole time I'm going, it's not the twin lady. It's not the twin. <laughs> that was fun. So anyway, yeah, he's a hometown guy, mechanic. She is a wonderlusty girl who teaches. You get to the, can Jessica have her heart's desire, which is Dwayne and travel? Hmm? Can she? We don't know. Read it and find out. We kind of know, because, you know, romance. But we don't know how it happens, <laughs> as you like to say. Yeah, we have to know how it happens this time. Yes. But no, I'm really enjoying it. I, I do love me some Penny Reed. She's always a good time. What about you? What have you been reading? So I have two recommendations today. Ooh! A twofer. Both of which I think you'll find quite enjoyable. Ooh, I am intrigued. One of them is actually a video game <gasps> that I've been re-obsessed with. <laughs> you know, it's spooky season. We are in the month of October. We are. And... I've been playing The Cult of the Lamb, which is a very cute and simultaneously creepy game. Yay. Well, I don't know if creepy is the right word. Disturbing. Disturbing, I think, is the right word. Okay. Cute and disturbing. Like you, Em. <laughs> I'm going to read the little synopsis about it on Steam. It says... Start your own cult in a land of false prophets venturing out into diverse and mysterious regions to build a loyal community of woodland followers and spread your word to become the one true cult. So basically you play this adorable little lamb who has been tasked by the chained god, the one who waits, to form a cult in his name and recruit other cute little woodland creatures <laughs> To your cult, <laughs> you get a combination of a dungeon crawl because you have to go out and crusade to gain resources and also defeat other rival cults. <laughs> defeat the heretics, mind you. And then you also have a bit of a base building situation because you use those resources to create a nice idyllic place for your cult members to live and thrive. And then you get to create doctrines that your cult members need to follow so that you can gather more faith and become more and more powerful. I am not completely done with the game, but I freaking love it. And it's <laughs> easy to obsess over. Yay! The graphics are, like I said, simultaneously cute and disturbing. <laughs> and the storyline 
is also cute and disturbing. Wonderful. Nice. My second recommendation is a paranormal romance novella Mm. entitled Unhinged by Vera Valentine. So this is one of those books where one of the groups I belong to posted a thing and they're like, this is a romance where the woman fucks a door, like a literal door, like, you know, hanging in a hinge in your house. You know, being the person I am, I'm like, yeah, I need to read that. (laughs) I need to know why and how. Because of course I do. Of course you do. Why wouldn't I, right? Hey, curiosity is a thing. This woman lives in an apartment and her front door is sentient and is a door. It doesn't have any extra capabilities Uh aside from being able to perceive things. Until one day, the door gets a chance. It learns it is actually made from the wood of a tree that Zeus fucked. Ah, good old Zeus. Or the the wood of a tree that came from an acorn from a tree that Zeus fucked. Let me get that straight. Okay. Yes, it's very important to get it straight. <laughs> so the door has some godliness. Okay. It gets a chance to visit our heroine in her dreams to warn her of an impending danger to her life and convince her to fuck him. It, it's a him, but it's a door. So, uh, um, like a hinge. (laughs) If she fucks the door as a door, then the door can turn into a man and protect her. Okay. And romance ensues (laughs) sure the thing is though the thing um that is hilarious and wonderful about the story is this author made it make sense interesting it made sense i was invested i wanted to know what was going to happen and yeah it didn't it was ridiculous, but not so ridiculous that it wasn't a good story, if that makes sense. No, nope, that does make sense. You might be interested to know that it is an audiobook. Well, there you go. And I must admit... <laughs> Partake and enjoy. The narrators have amazing names. So there's Richard Pendragon and Raven Wildwood. Oh, that's lovely. I know, I was like, oh my god, those names are amazing. I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Well, you need to listen and let me know if it's good. I will. Yeah, it's got, so far, at least at this point, it's got four ratings. Looks like five star. And (laughs) two positively written reviews that I can see. There you go. (laughs) And one one four star. So, I don't know. They raised so many things. I don't know what they take into account. But yeah, anyway, I just thought you'd like to know. (laughs) <laughs> there is a five-star rating on Goodreads for this. Uh-huh. that says, why the low rating, cowards? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I also rated it five stars, FYI. I'm not a coward. <laughs> bravely rage. I bravely rated truthfully. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, be true to yourselves. Yes, unsurprisingly, on the door, it has a 69. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course it does. 
<laughs> that's wonderful. Well, that's it for this time. <laughs> I like to read about door fucking, and we're leaving now. Um, <laughs> Through the figurative door. Yeah, so check out our website, romancebpodcast.com, for our social media links, show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. And you could rate us and leave a review if you want. Could be cool. Five stars, please. Don't be a coward. (laughs) So, were you romanced by Bram and Susanna Story? Let us know what you think. Talk amongst yourselves. All that jazz. Join us next time when we discuss Depraved by A.J. Merlin. Interesting transition. All right. Yeah, so I want you to know that this author who wrote the Dorfucking story also wrote a story about Bloomio. Okay. Yeah, I know there's like a whole like balloon poppy kink. This isn't poppet. These are like magic balloons. You know, I did read a story, this was ages ago, about a woman who fucked her car. Oh yeah. The gear shift, and unfortunately, uh-huh. she got stuck. Oh god. Yeah, this was ages ago like i'm not gonna date myself by saying yeah yeah i'm like oh that's that's horrendous although you know what those medical professionals take some oh yeah yeah (laughs) don't hesitate to call for help no (laughs) no you really shouldn't (laughs) and please you know whatever you put up there make sure it's not alive yeah you Unless it's attached to a consenting partner. Yes. Right? No, I'm talking about critters, but yeah. Right, um? Yes. <laughs> yes. Which, if they're critters, they can't consent. But yeah, I'm not even gonna. No, we're, we're only promoting consensual live putting up. Things. Yes. Yes. <laughs>